and welcome to The Porch with Alicia Barlow. Hi, I'm Alicia Barlow, author of The Porch, a place for enjoyment, conversation with people, reflection, and encouragement. Hello, this is, <laughs> this is Alicia, and I'm here with Gary and Elaine Bulmer. Did I say it correctly? You did. Okay. Perfect. Okay, all right. Gary has written a book. The title of his book is The Compassionate Side of Compromise. He has written this book because he has recovered and is recovering from a, a hemorrhagic stroke. Tell me, tell me, Gary, when did you have your stroke and why did you decide to write the book? Well, Alicia, Elaine and I got married in 1975. Eleven months later, it was lights out. I went, just passed out and uh, got to the hospital, but... Um, the result being, we found out it was a hemorrhagic stroke. Okay. And that eventually required two separate brain surgeries to clip it out and remove it. Elaine and I have been actively involved in our brain injury support group here in the city for 30 some years. We so have seen firsthand the confusion, the. Uh, the chaos that brain injury presents to an individual. And that's why we are so passionate about it. And that's why we wrote the book. All right. So, but you weren't involved in a brain injury group prior to your stroke or were you? No, ironically, Alicia, it's only the support groups have only evolved in the last, what do you think, Elaine, decade or two? About 40 years. Yeah, about the last four decades. Okay, okay. When, when we had our stroke experience, there was nothing. Okay, all right. So what were you, what type of work did you do prior to your stroke? I was a, uh, I was a contractor. Um, I was actually in school at UCO, and I never finished that semester back oh. in 1976 when I stroked out, as we say. Okay, all right. And so you said that you and Elaine, y'all had just, y'all were newlyweds. We were, and we were just 20. So we really hadn't set out in any careers. So some of his trying careers has, most everything for him has been after the stroke. Wow. And so that's where we saw a lot of the struggles from there to probably early 92, 95. And it was kind of like, we couldn't get anything to work. So he had been really frustrated because it was going from job to job and mm-hmm. really impacted his self-esteem. And so just just a lot of things that you went that went on with you. What are what were some of the issues that you were having as a subsequent from your stroke? You know, Alicia, I think in um, support group we talk about the brain injury world being A the walking wounded or B the silent epidemic. We walked into that world quite naively to discover that a lot of people didn't know anything about it. And I didn't know much about it, nor did Elaine. So I would naturally go to a job setting. And, you know, they're not really tolerant of people like me that don't remember what has been asked of them to do, whether it's on a daily uh, process, weekly or monthly. Okay. So one of the big issues that you have would would be memory? Yes. In fact, um, I I know a lot of survivors tend to deal with that. Um, But 
that's my primary that's one. That's your primary. Yes. Okay. And what are some other issues that you would say that you you had or maybe still having? You know, the the toughest one is no time frame. And because I, I kind of view memory as an ongoing motion picture. Okay. And if you were to take that motion picture and just clip out random sections of it and then piece it back together with those sections gone, you're kind of like, you can't follow the essence of it. And that's kind of my day-to-day life. That's interesting. You say, you talk about a motion picture, but I was kind of reading your book, which is, again, The Compassionate Side of Compromise, and you had talked about comparing your stroke or living as though you're playing the game of solitaire. There was something in there about playing the game of solitaire or playing cards. Oh, bridge. I think it was uh, playing bridge because I love to play bridge Uh and I have to keep notes as we play to know who led what or who um, played what. And um, I wouldn't know anything about how to even play bridge. I would have to take notes to (laughs) do What's interesting is the fact that he learned to play bridge before his stroke. Okay. And it's and it's a relatively com- we'll say complex game. And the fact you got to know who's bidding what and that kind of thing. And that's what he keeps track of. But how he had remember to play uh, bridge even after the stroke. But it was something he had learned previously to okay. the stroke. Okay. Let's go back to the title of the book. Uh huh. The compassionate side of compromise. What, how did you come up with that? Or what, what caused you to, to, to um, title your book that? You know, I think, I think what I have seen in survivors through all the camps I've gone to and as engaged in that world as Elaine and I are, I tend to see... A, a big void in compassion okay. towards survivors. Okay. And that's kind of wrong of me to perceive that because people don't know how to act towards us. Therefore, it could be interpreted as a lack of compassion. But also, we talk about disability. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't like that word, so I choose compromise. Okay. I live a compromised life. Okay. And I think towards other survivors, I'm as compassionate as you can get because I live it every day. Okay. And so through the process of writing the book, I hate to sound flippant about it, but that just came to me like turning on a light switch. Okay. Well, I like it. I like it. The compromise, side of compromise. We know that as he went through his struggles and his recovery, you had Elaine by your side. But there were probably some things as a caregiver. I always like to mention, you know, when there is a caregiver, you're not just going through this alone. You have someone with you, and they have challenges as well. What are some of the things that you feel as, a, as his caregiver at that time? And even now, if you feel still feel that there are things that you're having to do now, we're kind of at this table. Nobody sees us, but I kind of see, you know, I see eye gestures, hand gestures, <laughs> you know, papers and everything. I, I see that. Yes. Uh, well, initially, 
we were so overwhelmed, and it took a while for the medical doctor to realize that there was something wrong. The surgery was a complete success, and so they took physically, it was all done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not. There's something else going on. So it took a while to find a doctor that would kind of listen and help us meander through that. And so we finally did get uh, referred to a neuropsychologist, and people were just beginning to survive these. And so that was kind of all a beginning deal. But it was it was overwhelming in the fact I knew he was highly frustrated because his memory was even less at that point. Uh, and I didn't know what to do to try and help him, mm-hmm. you know. And so just kind of that and then being overwhelmed with his life still happened. So exactly. I still had to work because we'd lost his income and bills still had to be paid. And so trying to juggle the two, it can, it can get quite overwhelming. So when did you all as a couple or who decided to start uh, or looked at finding support? Was it support for him? Was it just for support for you or together we need some help? Well, initially it caregivers really were kind of like just there mm-hmm. that everything was typically focused on the survivor. And uh, we really hadn't thought about support. We didn't realize anything was out there. And we happened to have gotten somebody's mail by mistake that talked about a support group meeting. And so that was like in 88, 89. And that's when we went to a fir- our first support group meeting here in the city. Okay. And that opened our eyes out to show us, one, we weren't alone. And, you know, I met other caregivers, he met other survivors, and we saw the void that that kind of helped fill Mm -hmm. and get some ideas on on things we could try or not try. So from that point, we moved around a little bit, but we always found a support group. So when we moved back to the city, we went back to that support group, which is the support group of today. Okay. And I was working at a particular, I won't say the hospital or anything right now, but I was working at a hospital uh, the other day, and I see that you all have a support group meeting, I believe, on October 4th. Yes. It's our first in-person meeting since the pandemic. So they're going to do a hybrid. So it's going to be in-person, but still keep the Zoom aspect for those who can't okay. or who are far away. And can't all right. So where where is that? I'll let you all say where where your support group meeting. Are you, are you going to be running the meeting? We're, we will be at this first meeting, yes. Okay, all right. And you, Gary, are a leader. Are you a leader or a facilitator of the meeting, or how do you fit into the Let me the, Let me do a cheap is. plug. Our meetings will be at Valor Rehab Hospital. There you go. Um, they are a phenomenal organization allowing us to do this in their facility at no charge. Um I have facilitated our support group for 30-some years. I feel a little void now because while we've been online, Elaine and I sold our house, and we've been living out of our fifth wheel in Okarchi with no Internet. So our group is so awesome and strong that we've had people within to keep the momentum going. Great, great, great. So, uh, so, but this will be the first meeting since the in-person. pandemic st- has correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All and right. They're located, <clears throat> excuse me, at seven hundred Northwest Seventh Street, and it will start at six o'clock. 
6 o'clock. All right. And what day of the week is that on? That's a Tuesday. Tuesday. All right. So what are some things that you talk about in the meeting? As a facilitator of the group meeting, what are some things that kind of come out uh, that you find that um, is a commonality with you and maybe other survivors of strokes or um, brain injuries? You know, I think in our brain injury world, we emphasize, or at least I do a lot, kind of random thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so through our introductions, um, I'm careful to allow everybody to have enough time to kind of mention their name, what became of their brain injury, and to be able to get into stories. So my point is, as we do intros, I'm taking notes. And somebody might bring up, oh, I've lost all my friends. Or somebody might bring up, oh, I'm, I can't believe I'm still in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. I, I coordinate the discussion efforts in our support groups very carefully to piggyback on issues that are brought up in that specific meeting. Okay. If, if we get a lull in time, as a doctor friend of mine said, Gary, that's okay. I always thought I had to quickly jump in and get, but she's like, no, just let the void go. Let people kind of think we are there to suit the needs of every person that took time out of their life to come to that meeting to gain knowledge and information about a mental position that they did not ask for that are in the result of their brain injury. Exactly. That's great. That's great. You talk about information, and I noticed that in your book, you have lots of information and lots of um, data in regards to stroke and traumatic brain injury that you share with people. Why do you feel that it's necessary, or why did you feel that it was necessary to, to, to give all this information? You know, Alicia, I think because when, as Elaine alluded to, when I had my stroke, I, th I think, and this might just be my um, opinion, but nobody knew anything about it. Mm -hmm. I don't want, and Elaine will agree, we don't want any living person to feel as alienated in life as we were after brain surgery in Canada and our returning to the States. Very quickly, we lived in a 1,000-square-foot house in Edmond when I stroked out. Okay. And when we got back from Canada, I would get lost in the house. 1,000 square feet, I would get totally lost. Um, and Go ahead. Okay. Well, I, I made a note that I'm looking at. It's okay. probably out of context here. That's okay. But also, to piggyback on what Elaine said, we saw the neuropsychologist because along our recovery path, I've had pretty much a nervous breakdown okay. when I was doing some work that was way beyond my mental capacity as the job evolved. And that is a topic that we talk about a lot in support group, our inability potentially to function in a job setting. Okay. And I have to always choose my words carefully because I can hear someone say, oh, Gary, I've had a job ever since. My well, most of us are pretty unemployable. So mm -hmm. there are always exceptions. But, you know, Elaine and I are just so passionate mm -hmm. about this lifestyle 
as I said before, that nobody asked to be involved in. We've seen, I think the news will talk about divorce rate after brain injury is about 30%. Within our group, I think realistically, it's probably more in the neighborhood of 60 or 70%. Because as a marriage relationship guy spoke one time, we heard him say, he said, opposites attract. So therefore, once you've had a brain injury, you are no longer opposites in that marriage relationship. So are you the same? Or? Well, it, it's the roles drastically change. Okay. So there's exactly. not there's not the his and her role. So, you know, as a caregiver, when you're in the relationship, you try and find ways they can participate but the brunt of it is going to fall oh, on the caregiver. On the caregiver. And so it, it is an unequal partnership. You're taking almost a dual role. You, you do take almost a dual role. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you know, uh, I spoke with you all previously a few weeks ago on the porch at your friend's house. And I you know, was saying how it's, I mean, it's just wonderful to see that you are still together and that this happened when again you said in his 20s both of you were mm -hmm. 20. <laughs> yes 20. Young very young and so as it's, it's you know it's a blessing to have such a wonderful spouse as you have and someone who is willing to work with you and go through those recovery issues with you in the journey as you have in the your book also mm -hmm. your subtitle says a journey through traumatic brain injury. So there is this journey, this movement from where you were to where you're still trying to go. And you know, Alicia, it, it's uniquely fundamental to mention, as you just did, it's one thing to say, it's such a blessing that we've been married this long, but a whole nother to view it day to day. Mm -hmm. People will never know how much of a challenge, you know, memory and life after brain injury is. And so, A, you're right. We are so fortunate it is beyond words to even say. But secondly, we have chewed, gnawed, and fought for everything we have yeah. to maintain our marriage. It is work. It is work. And I... Applause you both. I see that you're, you know, you've written some notes. Would you say that note taking is a, a pretty big uh, compensatory technique that you utilize in your daily life? You are so good. Yes, it is. In fact, um, we eat, sleep, and drink brain injury. Uh, a professor at UCO. She is a good friend of ours, uh -huh. and she is the psychology professor. And she has us or me come in once or twice a year with an interim class and, and has me speak for pretty much the two hours. And here again, I almost forgot what I was saying. But um, what I always do, Alicia, is to the class, I find a girl on the front row. Uh -huh. And I point at her and say, do me a favor. When, I said, not if. But when I lose my thought midstream, I'm going to ask you to remind me what I was saying. Mm. So we build a comfort zone around 
the essence of what we have, mm-hmm. given the lifestyle that we have chosen. Okay. And I choose my words carefully because I love where Elaine and I are mm-hmm. in life. You know, I, we're, anyway. That's, that's wonderful. And, and as I stated before, I believe that you tell me that this is a ministry for you, for you. This has become a ministry, not just, you know, sharing of the information, but you really hear you say that you live it. You live it. You live telling people about the information that you have found out about the journey that you have gone through, the things that you have found out that works for you. And you want to share that. Am I correct on that? You are 100% correct. I heard another speaker say one time, most of my memory thoughts for you right now are, if they're emotional, I can retrieve them. But I heard him say, passion is what's missing in society more than anything. I can convey to you that Elaine and I are passionate Mm. about this journey. So yeah, it's a ministry, it's a calling, it's a public service service that we can give back. I like that. I like that. You know, we talked about a ministry, um, a calling. You talk about how you accidentally received that information in the mail. I don't know yeah. if it was really an accident. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't either. I, I'm, yes, I think it's all by definite design on how things have, have played out. That, yeah. Yes. But... We may have a conversation some other time with him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can have a conversation with him anytime. Oh, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. His, yep. his, his line is uh, always I open. Do, I do. I do. Yeah. 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 And, and it's uh, our daughter wrote, oh, actually, all our kids did a, a little story in there, but our daughter's is titled uh, Lemons, Really Sour Ones to Lemonade. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what Gary's done real well. Yeah. Is taking a situation that, in and of itself is not a very happy situation mm-hmm. and has turned it around and maximized and made the best of the cards he's got dealt. All right. All right. Well, Go that goes without saying it's a chemistry too. I could not have evolved through that had Elaine not been so good at directing me and allowing me to and, um, encouraging and, and I was going to use that word right. encourage yep an encourager I see that and I hear that <laughs> all right well I thank you for coming here and joining me on the porch go ahead I just want to mention Alicia the the whole point of the book and I think it's on there somewhere but we wanted survivors and family members to, in essence, read the book. I think it's got like 90 page and a half stories of my life. We wanted people to read it and say, hey, mom, dad, spouse, kids, whatever. Story 3, 14, 37, 52, and 80, that's my life. Mm -hmm. To be able to paint that mental picture for their family and loved ones to allow them to be included within this quagmire mm-hmm. of life after brain injury. All right, all right. Well, anything else you want to share in regards to your book? Again, the title is The Compassionate Side of Compromise, A Journey Through Traumatic Brain Injury. Again, I like the title. 
I thank you for sharing everything that you're sharing. Go ahead. The only thing I'd like to add is um, if you Google brain injury support groups of Oklahoma yes. City, I'm the referral person with my phone number. Um, anybody call me anytime. Okay. We've talked to people, I could probably almost say all hours of day and night as they, oh my gosh, my husband, my spouse, whatever, just had a brain injury. What do I do? We love walking them through this void and, and this monumental episode in their life. Thank you. And again, I want to encourage those that live here in the Oklahoma City area or via internet to join you on Tuesday, October 4th um, for your brain injury meeting. And that will be again at Valerie Hab off of Northwest 7th and Classic. Okay, great. All right. Thank you both. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you for listening and joining me on the porch. Remember to take time to reflect, share memories, and engage with others on your porch. And I'll meet you here next time on The Porch, your podcast for community conversations. Brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast Platform.